This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for January 10th, 2018. In this episode, recently discovered vulnerabilities in CPU hardware affect virtually every modern computer. We'll tell you how these vulnerabilities could be exploited and what you may need to be concerned about. Plus, another recently reported macOS problem may have been hidden for 15 years or longer. And we'll answer listener email on Mac security. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. So we got a bunch of reader emails this week. A lot of you wrote in, and thank you for that. And we've selected one that we'd like to talk about because it presents an interesting security risk that's not that uncommon. Larry wrote in, and he reacted to some comments we made about shopping on unfamiliar websites. He says his daughter asked her to buy a computer carrying bag and gave him a link to a Canadian company, and he checked, and it looked okay, and he created an account, and he ordered the bag. A little while later, he said he got an email that said, welcome to the name of the company. Your username is this and your password is this. They sent the password in the email in clear text. This is really risky. And and I have seen this in the past. I haven't seen it in a long time, but it does happen. This is really dangerous. It is dangerous. And it turns out there's actually a lot of websites that still do this, unfortunately. This is something that's been happening since, I'm sure, the very early days of the internet and e-commerce. But what's going on here, what that means, if someone is sending you a password, your password in plain text, what that means is that they're not storing it in a secure manner on their on their side. So if... Um, for example, and especially if you have typed in a password, if, it, it, it can be a little bit different. If they're sending you a password reset, this is a temporary password, that may be a little bit different thing. But if somebody's actually sending you the password that you typed, then they're clearly not storing it correctly because the correct way to store a password on the, on the back end, uh, so that is on, on the side of the company that's actually hosting that website, the proper way for them to do it means that they would not even have, they would have no knowledge or any way to look up what your password is because they would use something called hashing, which basically takes, um, it's kind of like a footprint or a shadow representation of your password. That is all that a company should be storing. They should never, ever have your actual password. I like that definition. That's the best I've ever heard. A shadow of your password. A hash is a way that they sort of do some sort of mathematical operation to the password to come up with a result. Is that right? Right, exactly. There, yeah, there's a one-way hash function that basically means that they're, they're kind of um, looking at your password from a certain lens. You could kind of look at it that way. And, um, and only looking at your, what you're typing in through that lens can you get the same output. And so you have to type in the same password every time in order to get that same output. But it's a one-way function. You can't put it in reverse. Right. So they can't start with the hash and work their way back to figure out the password. Exactly. Okay. So my, my recommendation to Larry would be, if you ever see this, immediately go to the website and change the password. Because someone who could have intercepted that email would have your username and your password. And if by any chance you had stored your credit card details with the company, then that means you could be vulnerable. Of course, 
then I imagine the scenario, I go to change the password and the company sends me an email, congratulations, you have just changed your password too, and then here's the new password in clear text. Right. It is That, that is something that can happen. And this is why one of the reasons going back to the episode six, our, our password episode we did recently, we talked about wanting to pick a unique password for every site that you go to. This is a prime example of that, because if you were sharing a password between multiple sites and this site was one of them, oh boy, that's not a good thing because <laughs> it wouldn't take much for somebody to compromise that password database. And now they know a password that you're using in multiple places on multiple sites. Eek, this is scary. Yeah. To thank Larry for sending in his email, we're going to get in touch with you and send you a $25 iTunes Store gift certificate. Do send us questions by email at podcast at intigo.com, and we'll choose the most interesting questions, and we'll answer one or two every episode. So you've been busy recently, haven't you, Josh? I'm always busy, Kirk. Yeah, but I, I imagine you're probably talking about the interview that I did just recently about some malicious Mac adware. Amit Serper is the principal security analyst at Cyber Reason, and he recently published a report talking about something that's called OS X Pirate, um, which is one of the names of, of this adware family. And he summarized all of this, this research that he's been doing since early 2016. So we're talking about almost two years worth of research that he's been doing in the, into this malware family. And what's interesting about it is this Pirit adware. So typically adware does things like popping up advertisements on your, on your, on your screen or injecting ads into the, the pages that you're viewing and things like that. And it does this for the purpose of, you know, making some money for the developer of that adware. Well, what adware doesn't typically do is things like creating a user account on your Mac that has root privileges, meaning full administrative access to do whatever they want to do with your Mac. So Pirit has actually done things like this. And so it could definitely be described accurately as malware because it's doing things that nobody wants, you know, any kind of software to, to do on their system. This is just not not best practices and dangerous stuff, frankly. Right. We generally make a distinction between adware and malware, adware being an annoyance and malware being truly dangerous. And here, this is something that's crossed the line. Absolutely. That's absolutely true. I'll put a link in the show notes and you can view this interview on Intego's YouTube channel. Perfect. So before we get to our main topic, which is a mammoth of a topic, it's a great white whale of a topic. There was a very interesting Mac vulnerability that was announced that's been around for 15 years that kind of got lost in all the noise of the bigger vulnerability around CPUs that we're going to talk about in a minute. Yeah, that's right. On New Year's Eve, there was a security researcher who goes by the name of Seguza who dropped a pretty serious Mac zero-day vulnerability. And this is something that um, evidently he'd been talking with Apple about. Uh, most of the stories say that he, he didn't give Apple a heads-up warning um, about this, but he fully disclosed all the details, a huge, massive write-up about a bug that he says has been lurking for at least 15 years in every version of Mac OS. So if you can think about like what ver what version of Mac OS was I even using 15 years ago? That's 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 a long time ago. This these are like early days. The first official version after the public beta of Mac OS 10 came out in 2001. 
So you were using 10.1 or 10.2. And, and it's possible it may even go back to the the very first version of, of uh, Mac OS X, but he knows it's at least been there for, for about 15 years is, is how he put it. I'll put a link in the show notes. You can read this article. It doesn't really explain too much about it. The, the, the only thing that I think I would mention just it's even though it is a zero day, meaning that it is the full details of it are in the wild, it's not known to be publicly exploited yet. And it also usually requires local access, meaning that somebody has to, you know, have physical access to your Mac in many cases, or your machine already has to be infected for this to really mean much. So it's a privilege escalation vulnerability, meaning that if somebody already has access to your machine, they can get root access to your machine. Okay. So this week we have a serious vulnerability, and this is the kind of vulnerability that goes beyond computer security geeks, goes beyond your sort of knowledgeable computer user and gets on the news. In fact, someone said to me earlier today, even his wife asked him about it. What is going on? It sounds like the world of microprocessors is crumbling, that every CPU, central processing unit, in every computer made in recent years is vulnerable to attack. Could this be really that bad? It's pretty bad. It really is pretty bad. Is this the computer zombie apocalypse? <laughs> well, I think what's important for people to understand here, and we'll, we'll, we'll kind of explain more about what these vulnerabilities are, but um, the, the important takeaway I think here before we get too deep into it is don't panic because everybody's affected by this. And so it's not just somebody's not going to be just targeting you. So don't worry about that. And yes, we should be a little concerned. However, there are already mitigations in place, at least for uh, if you're running the latest version of Mac OS, for at least one of these major vulnerabilities. And there are mitigations that are coming in, uh, in many other products as well, including web browsers. So we'll, we'll talk about those. Right. So mitigations means basically security updates, fixes to this. Exactly. So this is really interesting. You know, I've been working around computer security for 20 years now, and we, we generally see the sort of malware, virus, adware, as we mentioned earlier, and they're almost always software related, but this is a hardware related issue. It took me a while to truly understand what this is about, but Apple released a really clear article explaining it. It's called About Speculative Execution Vulnerabilities in ARM-Based and Intel CPUs. That's a mouthful. We'll link in the show notes. First, the CPU is the main chip in your computer, the one that does all the calculations. Your computer or your iPhone or iPad has a number of chips in it. One is a CPU. One would be to handle video. One would be for Wi-Fi. One would be for audio, etc. And And all of these chips do different things, but the CPU is the one that does all the real hard work. Now, this talks about two types of CPUs, ARM-based and Intel. Intel is a company. ARM is another company. What this means is that just the way the CPUs are built, there are these two different styles that are the main computer CPUs. Apple is using ARM-based CPUs on iOS devices, some of which they make themselves. They're using Intel CPUs in their Macs. What's interesting about this is we have learned through this vulnerability a very interesting thing that CPUs do. When running computer code on a processor, the first thing you need to understand is that a developer doesn't write code in the language that the processor understands. There are several levels, and, and the processor uses a code that's called assembler. And I'm sure there are some hardcore developers that write an assembler, but it's really hard. 
there are only a very limited number of instructions. But then there's a, another layer that allows you to write more complex code. Now, when you're writing computer code, let's see if I can give you a, a concrete example. We're recording this on Friday, and let's say that I'm running a program that needs to know what day of the week it is. And the code in that program is going to have a series of statements. If day is Friday, then do this. If day is Saturday, then do that, and et cetera. And so there would be seven statements talking about the seven days. With older CPUs, it would go through each bit of code, if statement, it would test it. And if it wasn't that day, it would just skip to the next one. But modern CPUs run so quickly that when they see code like that, they'll run through all of the possibilities. And each of these if-then statements could have hundreds or even thousands of lines of code. They'll run through all of them before they even get to the answer of knowing what day it is. In other words, it's faster for the processor to test all of these statements before finding out what day it is. Then when it finds it's Friday, it just goes on with the Friday branch of the code. Now, the problem here is that everything else that's Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday is still sitting there in memory someplace. And this could contain things such as passwords, usernames, credit card numbers, and all sorts of secure data. Yeah, that's a really good explanation of this. And, and it is a complicated subject. I mean, we're talking about uh, way down at, at a level that people normally, who are not programmers or, or uh, hardware developers, uh, most people don't really think about things at this level. So there's two categories of vulnerability here, and you'll often hear them if, if you've been hearing people kind of discuss this, they've been talking about two things, Meltdown and Spectre. You've got to appreciate the PR companies who come up with these names. <laughs> and, and I wonder if the next James Bond movie is going to be called Meltdown, because when I heard Spectre, that was the first thing I thought of. Uh-huh, James Bond, yeah. So Meltdown uh, is the first one, and this is the one that you need to worry less about because if you're running iOS 11.2 or macOS 10.13.2, which is the latest version of, of High Sierra, then you're okay. And also tvOS 11.2 has the Meltdown fixed as well. And Apple says that watchOS did not require mitigation, so it was not uh, evidently affected by Meltdown. So another thing that, that people are kind of concerned about, too, is that um, the, the whole idea behind this speculative execution is that it makes it possible for things to run faster on, on your devices. As, as Kirk was describing, it, it, it already starts taking this certain logic path, and so it can just continue down that path, and that saves time. And so one of the concerns that uh, that people had is, oh my gosh, doesn't this mean that if th these vulnerabilities are mitigated, in other words, like if, if they do something to cut off that speculative execution, doesn't that mean everything's going to slow down for me now? Right, because speculative execution was created to improve the speed of processors because the processors are fast enough to do so much at one time that this means that programs can run faster. Exactly. And Apple says that at least as far as the mitigations that they put in place already for Meltdown, they say that they've done some, some benchmark testing and the changes that they made already in December um, in these updates resulted in, they say, no measurable reduction in the performance of macOS and iOS, which is great. Right. And so they released these updates in December. These vulnerabilities were known in November and the information was made available to computer companies, software companies, not to the general public. And people wrote about it, but they didn't know exactly how it worked. So Apple has been able to update 
the operating systems, as you mentioned, since then. Of course, what happens if you have a device that doesn't run one of these recent operating systems? Well, then you're going to remain vulnerable. So uh, it's it's very important to make sure that if your Mac is capable of running High Sierra, you update to the latest version as soon as possible. Same thing with iOS 11. If if your device is capable of running iOS 11, make sure you get the latest version of iOS 11 installed as soon as possible. Coming up, more on the other recent major security flaw named Spectre and how it's being patched when the Intego Mac podcast continues in just about a minute. There's a lot of confusing terminology in computer security. What terms do you want to learn about? Send us an email at podcast at intego.com telling us what terms you want to learn more about. And if we pick your email, you might win a prize. You're clearly a Mac user who's interested in staying up to date on the latest Mac security news and issues. The best way to do that is to subscribe to the Intego Mac podcast. And there's one other thing we'd like you to do. Save some money. Right now, Intego Mac podcast listeners can get 50% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today, and then use the promo code Intego Podcast at checkout to save 50%. That's Intego Podcast to save 50% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. It's a great time to save 50% on Mac Premium Bundle X9 using the promo code Intego Podcast at checkout. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. Okay, before the break, we talked about Meltdown. Let's talk about Spectre now. Right. What's that about? Spectre is interesting. So there, there's a couple of specific exploitation techniques, and there's a, a number that's called a CVE number, a Common Vulnerabilities and Exposures number. And these are the numbers that the industry uses to make sure that when multiple companies are talking about a vulnerability, that they're all talking about the same one, because some might call something one name and some might call it another. And um, so there's two CVEs or, or two specific ways of exploiting this specter vulnerability. And Apple describes um, one as a bounce check bypass and one as a branch target injection. So without getting too technical about it, essentially they make it possible for items that are in the kernel memory, and again, the kernel is at the core of your operating system, it makes it possible for those items to be available to user processes. That means programs running on your machine. And that's a bad thing. Generally do not want software that's running on your machine to just be able to dig in and, and hey, oh, what's, what's going on here in the kernel? Well, that looks interesting because you might be able to do things like extract passwords and, and other things like that. Now, this is not something that has been well mitigated and, uh, and is, is the one that is probably of a little bit greater concern. It, it seems to be so concerning that CERT, the Computer Emergency Readiness Team, came out and initially said that the only way to fix this particular vulnerability was to replace the CPU in every affected device. Millions of computers, tens, even hundreds of millions of phones and other devices. Now, they backtracked and said, well, maybe not. 
but that kind of worries me because CERT is not the kind of organization that's going to come out and make inflammatory statements. And the fact that they've changed their recommendations suggests that maybe they got pressured by the computer industry. Perhaps, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's possible. So Intel, by the way, is is the company that's uh, that most people have been talking about, at least in in the initial days of this kind of kerfuffle over, oh my gosh, what's going on? And it turns out, as 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 we mentioned, that non-Intel processors are also affected, such as ARM-based processors. But Intel. And some of these other companies have started to say, oh, well, um, no, we can fix this. We can fix this. We, we just need to um, release you know, firmware updates. So they're going to be BIOS updates uh, for, for Mac OS. It's going to be an EFI that is a, a firmware update. Some, every, every once in a while, Apple re- will release a firmware update and you'll get that through uh, the Mac App Store like usual. Firmware is software that is installed physically onto a chip, onto a device as opposed to software that's just stored on a hard drive and that's read when necessary. And as you said, the BIOS is what allows a computer to boot itself when you start it up. But there can be other types of firmware in different chips on a computer. So, so the main way that these vulnerabilities really need to be fixed is through firmware. And so it, it happens that Apple has been able to mitigate at least the meltdown portion of it or the, melt, uh, the meltdown um, exploitation technique already in their operating systems, but Spectre is a, is a little bit different. And Apple says that it will release an update for Safari. Now this is interesting um, because now we're talking about a browser. We're not talking about an operating system. Right, and and I'll link in the show notes to the CERT vulnerability note. And what's interesting is it talks about companies like AMD, ARM, Intel, Apple, saying that they're affected, but it also lists Google and Mozilla, Mozilla, the Mozilla Foundation makes Firefox and Google makes Chrome. So we've gone from a hardware problem to a software problem that's somehow related to this hardware problem. Is that it? Yes. Well, something like that. Yeah. The the, the ways of exploiting this hardware problem are, are basically done through software. So that's why um, these multiple developers are having to get involved and do things differently with the way that their software works in order to help prevent these hardware problems from being able to to be exploited. And so with with, with browsers, one of the scary things here is that they contain your your passwords. A lot of people um, save save their passwords for websites that they go to frequently. Credit card numbers as well, and you're constantly entering sensitive data through a web browser. Right. And so, of course, it would be very bad if uh, another program running on your machine were able to just extract that very, very sensitive information from from running memory. And and that's um, one of the things that um, has yet to be properly patched, at least as far as Safari is, is concerned. Apple did say in the coming days, so it is possible that we may even see a patch um, by the time this uh, this podcast episode is released. But um, for sure, you know, I would say within the next week, Apple is going to, to release an update for Safari for macOS and iOS that will at least partially, if not, you know, more fully um, mitigate the Spectre vulnerabilities as much as possible. Now, earlier you mentioned that this may have an impact on the speed of a processor, that it might slow things down. And some articles I read suggested it could have as much as a 30% performance hit on processors. In other words, slowing a processor down by 30%. Apple's document says that they've tested this and it has an impact of less than 2.5% on the benchmark. So 
no matter what, your Mac and your iPhone will slow down a little bit. Yeah, unfortunately. Apple claims less than 2.5%, they say, of one particular benchmark is, is what they estimate that the impact will be of their Spectre fix for Safari. Okay, well, 2.5%, it's probably not going to be that noticeable. But when you already have people complaining of, oh, my iPhone 6 or, you know, any older iPhone is running more slowly now, even iPhone 7... That, that's been a whole other thing that's been in the news recently about, oh, Apple's slowing down people's devices and, and you know, they have... Right, because the batteries are too old, yeah. That, that's, that's what Apple says. So if they're already slowed down because of the battery, then they're going to be slowed down more because of this. Where does it end? Is this a slippery slope to sluggish computers and iPhones? Well... <sighs> You know, you've got to fix the security vulnerability because it's major. So Yes, that's mu it's much more important than worrying about the performance. But let's just speculate for a moment that it does have a 30% performance hit on every computer. How would we live with that? My iMac, I have a three-year-old iMac, and it's more than fast enough for what I do. We're recording this podcast. We use Skype so we can see each other. So I've got video. I'm recording the audio. And at the same time, there are all sorts of things going on. But if I look at the processor statistics, only about 15% of my CPU is being used. It's 85% is idle. So there's plenty of room for the processor to do what it needs to do. I think the only time you're really going to see the performance is when you're doing something that's really intensive. And, and the, the best examples of that are video editing and encoding 3D rendering, things that require a lot of math. Right. Yeah, that's true. And so I, I don't really think that for the average user, you're really going to see like a 30% reduction. That would be in a very extreme case. And I don't think that performance is something that people need to worry about nearly as much as some might might have you believe um, when it comes to these vulnerabilities. Yes, there will be a, a slight performance impact, but it may not even really be noticeable. So one article that I'm looking at here on VentureBeat says that Intel plans security updates for 90% of the past five years processors by the end of next week. This was written on January 4th. 90% of the past five years processors. Two things I'm wondering about. Does that mean the 10% aren't affected? And the other is, well, they're going back five years. Does that mean that Six years ago, this wouldn't have been an issue because the way processors work have changed? Or are they just not going back any further because they don't have any responsibility, legal responsibility, if it's over five years old? Everyone is, is saying that because these speculative execution vulnerabilities affect 20 years worth of Intel processors, I, I would definitely say that it's just Intel trying to cover themselves and say, okay, well, most people aren't using a 20-year-old computer anymore. And if they are, they need to upgrade anyway. So pay us the money, right? So if, if you have something older than, than five years, well, okay, maybe it's probably time that you buy a newer machine anyway. So yeah, it's mostly just that uh, Intel's trying to cover the broadest base of, uh, of affected users as quickly as possible. And again, remember, this is not just consumers. This is, you know, Intel makes server hardware. These are uh, big companies with really important business applications running on this hardware. Uh, and so they, they need to do something quickly. And so it makes sense that they're, they're going for that 90% first. Now, the, as far as that 10%, I don't know. I, um, I, I haven't really seen a clear answer about whether, um, Intel is planning on fixing those that other 10% or whether they're concerned that maybe they don't have a good fix for that yet. I, I don't know what that other 10% means. It's entirely possible that 
people with older computers might not even think of updating them very often. No, that's it's it's absolutely a fact. I mean, most people, if their computer is working, they're not going to be just going out and buying a new computer. Or I mean, even applying security updates. If you've got a 10-year-old computer that's running Windows 95, there's not much you can do to it because Microsoft won't be updating Windows 95. You probably, maybe you'd be able to find a firmware update if you know enough to look for it. But you know, then we're we're getting to the people who don't even think about this and and who actually might be more vulnerable. Yeah, and and as a matter of fact, um, especially if you're running an older version of Windows, um, you're you're not going to get any kind of pop up notification saying, "Oh, there's a BIOS update available," and it doesn't work that way on on uh, on Windows. So Mac users, because Apple makes the whole widget, as Steve Jobs used to like to say, you've got the same company that's making the the software and the hardware. And so it's very easy for Apple to just push out firmware updates because they know exactly what hardware you've got. They make the hardware, and so they know exactly what to push to you, which firmware updates to push to you. It doesn't work that way on in the Windows world. In fact, even if you have a brand new system, you may not get any notification that there's a firmware update available for your Windows hardware. So, oh boy, yeah, it's it, it's it's a mess, and and people are going to need to be proactive about checking for updates once they are firmware updates once they are available for their platforms, especially if you're not using an Apple device. This is one of the bigger vulnerabilities that we've seen in a while because this doesn't affect just software. It affects the hardware that underlies all the software. And as you say, there are so many variables as to how it can get updated and how it can be attacked and all that. I think the takeaway here is always update your devices. And and you pointed out, you know, with Apple, it's easy. You've always got software updates available on a Mac through the Mac App Store app and through the settings app on an iOS device. Apply them as soon as you can because once malicious people figure out how to exploit this, this is the kind of thing that they will try to exploit. Because it seems that there is an endless possibility for obtaining information. And, and you mentioned getting information, but I would assume that if you can get into the kernel, you can also install software that has root access, that gives remote access to someone and I guess the possibilities are endless. It's something that somebody could use to, though, to leverage the, these vulnerabilities to do something like that. But yeah, it would, it would be an extra step. Okay, with all this, we've started off the new year with a bang, haven't we? We sure have. <laughs> so go check and see if you have any security updates and stay secure. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. Your comments and questions are welcome. Please feel free to send email correspondence to podcast at intigo.com. We may use your question on a future episode. Links to topics and information Kirk and Josh mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intigo.com. The Intego website is also where you'll find details on the full line of award-winning Intego security and utility software, intego.com.